why should I care? She's always going to be an A-plus list, bold-faced name. Then the moves have to be super, super authentic. And in what seems to be our constant conversation, like, for what? Like, she has everything. She has a professorship. She has all the things. Well, why does Julia Roberts keep doing it? Julia Roberts just loves attention. Like, I'm not going (laughs) to lie. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Lainey Louie, and this is Show Your Work. I write about celebrities and strategy at LaineyGossip.com, and I'm an entertainment reporter and talk show host. And I'm Duanna Taha, a television screenwriter and producer. We're two people obsessed with the work that goes into the shows, movies, and songs that feature your favorite celebrities. And on this episode, is Angelina Jolie boring? Also, Hollywood assistants are rising up in protest. We get into why the changing landscape of show business has affected the people who have to take the lunch orders. And then, why Taylor Swift and Andrew Lloyd Webber are made for each other. Work, 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 work. I've always wanted to start our podcast like that. It's so cheesy and I don't even know how to sing the song, but... Um, I feel like it's apropos to start with Rihanna this week. I just almost, a little nod to her. If I were, you know, uh, your boss or, um, if I were your guru, your, your trainer, Mariana? I'd, I'd make you go back and do it again. Work, 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 work. <laughs> nope. I mean, you know, you're getting there. You're getting close to where she was that time when she and uh, Seth Meyers got drunk. Yeah. Um, Like, I feel like that's… Except neither one of us is drunk. …the level where we are. Um, No, it's true. Stone cold sober. But also, I was influenced by… So many people emailed me, and I love that my brand is this strong, about the Making Beyonce podcast that's coming out. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The same people who made Making Obama and… Making Oprah. Exactly. Yeah. But like what I'm most excited about, obviously, are the years of the whip being cracked on Destiny's Child or Girls' Time or whoever they were in their million different permutations. Uh, I That's who I aspire to be. I aspire to be the dragon fire breathing boss of a group that will go on to attain notoriety. Thank you for also using a Beyonce lyric in that description. Um, Excellent. She would be very pleased with you. However. I'm not being coy. I don't know what lyric you're referring to. Dragon fire breathing. Really? Oh my God. Oh, I was, I was scrambling. No, you're fired. I, no. (laughs) No, You can't fire me. I fire you. (laughs) Um, This podcast though, because the Making Obama and the Making Oprah had Oprah and Obama's endorsement. They were both participants in the podcast. 
uh, I think they were tacit participants, if not, I can't. No, they were on the podcast. Oprah was, for sure. And so was Obama. Yeah, and certainly everybody around him was, yes. Um, so you're hoping. No, I mean, she doesn't speak to anyone in that format. Like, there's no, here's a question in front of you. I'm going to ask it to your face. And you have to answer it to my face, not over email, not over Gchat, whatever. And you don't get to dictate the questions I ask of you. How that hasn't happened in a long time. But of course, a podcast can be crafted, right? Like those excellent, excellent podcasts are more like a Barbara Walters Amble interview than they are like, I'm going to hit you with a hard-hitting question. Like… If any questions don't get a response, you know they don't make it into the episode. I don't know, though, because I feel as though, you know, I've long thought that uh, Becoming Beyonce by J. Randy Tarabarelli was… There it is. There it is. Um, I've long thought that it was tacitly endorsed, even though they call it unauthorized. I am the dragon-breathing fire. Beautiful mane. I am the lion. Very, I'm very pleased with myself then. The subconscious work unfired. Thank you. Oh, <laughs> um, it's a nice segue though. If we're talking about Beyonce and um, responses, interviews, participation, because there are only a handful, probably less than a handful of celebrities who have made it so that their publicity is not the conventional interview conversation slash discussion anymore. Beyonce is one of them. And Angelina Jolie is more or less like that too. Well, you know what is a question about that? You're absolutely right that she is. There is, you and I were working in uh, Eddie Talk in the celebrity interview machine almost at the exact time when they started to say, there will be no questions about X. Is that true in your, like, gossip history? Just in general, too. Not related to just Angelina, but everybody. Like, That's what I'm saying. Like, they come around and say, hey, five minutes, but don't ask about this and that. But did that come up in the early 2000s in and around the rise of Jolie and her contemporaries? I, I, I'm tempted. Like, I think that people, I think the, the, the fun answer is to say, yes, blame it on her, but I think it was a general movement, period. There, She tried it, for sure. Was she the first to try it? I don't think so. No, but I guess what I'm saying is I don't think anybody did that in the 90s. I don't think anybody no. did that in yeah. the… I'm saying that whole thing was born… In that era. In the early 2000s, 2000s yeah. like sudden desperate hunger, and all the people who had been movie stars all of a sudden were blanket statement pop culture names. Yeah. And then, like, the nobodies started trying it, too. Well, because of the internet, I guess. Like, suddenly they could see all the ways that something they said hung on forever and not just to people who had a subscription to Parade magazine. Can you imagine how hard it is, though? Because these fuckers are all narcissists. How hard it is to be like, don't ask me about this, I, but I do just want to talk about myself all the time. Well, and yeah, absolutely. And also it's one of those things that you know was originally an offhanded statement. Do I have to talk about that? I don't really want to today. Like, I don't really want to talk about that one movie. It was kind of a, a drag or a, a flop. But 
But what happens then is a is a press officer, a publicist, somebody is like, do not ask about this. Yeah. You will be expelled. Like, it's true. Half the time, it's the publicists who are not really serving their clients in in a good manner. Like, they make them look bad. And sometimes, yeah, the celebrities don't know that their PR, their reps are being dicks. But, I mean, the other 50% is that they are dicks. And they realize that they can be. Yeah. So then on the heels of that, yeah. So you sent this Angelina Jolie uh, Harper's Bazaar article. Yeah. Um, it's the cover, I assume, yes? Yeah. Sure. I, I Well, <laughs> even the fact that you sound that like, yeah, duh, <laughs> um, is… Like, what is Angelina Jolie literally going to be on page 20? But this is kind of my thing, though. Like, <laughs> but she… Okay, Seriously, but… Seriously, you're editing the magazine and you have an opportunity to go Angelina Jolie and you're going to be like, no, I'm going to take Leah Michelle instead. Okay. Oh, <laughs> First of all, what a name to pull out of the air. I just, yeah. Uh-huh. I just pulled it out of the air. No, but listen, though. Like, fine. It's a, they're cover images for sure. Yeah. Is it a cover interview? No. It's, it hasn't been a cover interview in a long time. But this is what I'm saying. We're now devaluing what a cover is and can be. Right. So am I being a hypocrite because I am an advocate and crusader for the celebrity profile in a magazine and people like Angelina Jolie are denigrating the art form? Well, not for nothing, but we're talking about two totally different prospects, right? Magazines themselves, the actual physical paper document, um, sell with the images first and foremost. It's not about the copy, right? The people who are doing the celebrity profiles that we still love are largely for online platforms that aren't worried about about cover sales in the same way, yeah. right? If you click on the article, you clicked on it, you're yeah. there. You've bought it, essentially, as opposed to... Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I get it. But yeah, this... I wanted this to be different than it was. Although there is one highly redeeming feature that we will get to. Yeah. So, you, though, to be fair, you felt like there was there was more... What did you say? You said that she's more open than she's been in a while. Well, okay. This is how I pitched it to you. We started this podcast... Um, I don't want to say how many years ago because I can't remember anymore, but Angelina Jolie really was kind of our test episode. She and Brad Pitt broke up, remember? And we were like, we got to talk about this. Let's go for it. We were talking about the media strategy, mm-hmm. um, her mastery of all of that. Because it jammed out of nowhere. It was, yeah. Yeah. It was pretty, it was big ass news, right? Yeah. And so we start our podcast like this and we really haven't talked about her since that much at all because she's been pretty quiet. And uh, so, uh, Sorry, i got to rephrase you. She's been pretty boring. Okay, quiet. She's not quiet in the sense that she's always around. Yeah. But she's boring. She is, yes, she ha- deliberately was a black sack in her personality, which is what she wears. Oh, I see. I th- I yeah, sure. And like, yeah. look, I, I kind of respect. Although much like I love a black sack, you know that. I do know that. But I also kind of respect that as a move, right? When there are people who are like have had too much press attention, uh, my beloved Julia Roberts comes to mind. They're almost ostentatiously soccer mom, 
right? Right. Look, if you're going to roll your eyes like that, then we got to have a camera on because that was epic. Okay, but so what? Your beloved Julia Roberts turns into soccer mom. You find it charming and hilarious. We've talked about it on this podcast, how you're like laughing at her like soccer mommy <laughs> anecdotes, which you can't deny. And Angelina, Angelina's version is to go quiet, black sack mode. But that's where I disagree. She's not going quiet because she's still appearing on every bloody red carpet. You still see her coming out of shops and movies and things with her kids all the time. Look at me. Like, I, she's she's Kate Gosselin. Like, she's always surrounded oh, by a passel of God children. God damn it. I don't mean in the, uh, I'm just saying that her, she still operates where her children are constantly with her, right? Like it's, it's in every oh, yeah. image and there's always new images. You do this, you buy images, right? Yep. There are new images of her often enough uh -huh. with some combination of children. Yes. Thank you. Okay. Okay. The point is four years of boring slash quiet. Yep. And now in the last six months or so, since the announcement of her joining Marvel and while she's been promoting Maleficent, Mistress of Evil, there has been, it's like the, the black sack has come off. Metaphorically. <laughs> and literally the fashion has taken like a little bit. No, no, not even a little bit. The fashion has been taken to another level. Um, the interviews are all talking about being wild, rediscovering the wild side there's a little bit more fun happening. She's doing like three-person interviews. I'm sorry, Joanna. You were in this business working on an entertainment show day in, day out, doing junkets. Angelina Jolie doesn't do three-people interviews and like joking around in them. No, absolutely. Do you mean like that she's actually sharing her room with others? Yeah. Yeah, no, that's not done. But I also think that's smart. Like, I mean, maybe that's lessons learned on the soccer field, right? Like, yeah. surround yourself with younger people and let them do the work. Uh, yes. Like, that sounds like it's right out of the Julia playbook. Sorry, okay. not for nothing. Just saying. And and the, now the sex is back, or at least the presentation of a certain sexiness, that bombshell. Remember back in the day when Angelina Jolie first exploded onto the scene, she was the sex pot, right? The... Curves everywhere, the pout, you'd look at her and there was like a, you want me, I know you want me glare. Angelina Jolie is to me my understanding of the word thirst. I don't mean she's thirsty. I mean like what she evoked from people, yes, in that era yeah. was like just pure raw lust and or like lust, but also wanting to be that person. You right. know what I mean? So yes, from that, that vibe is back. Or that vibe is trying to come back. That's what the discussion is. That's what the discussion is. Do you buy it? Are you into it? What do you think of it? Okay, so look, like I am not going to deny that there's no other, uh, you know, visiting professor in practice at the London School of Economics who is appearing in tasteful nudes in Harper's Bazaar, like, I'll give you that no problem, right? Great. Um, but you have to admit, these images are, like, their effects, they're definitely fashion, mm -hmm. and they're beautiful. And Which she's never been fashion. No, no. She's almost been above fashion. Yes, you're right. Yeah. Um, in fact, like, like weirdly so, right? Right. Like, she's always chosen gowns that were, like, 
stately almost. <laughs> That's a great word. We were never looking to Angelina Jolie to be our best dressed. No, not ever. Yeah. But I guess though, t- these images seem like they're they seem sanitized. Like it's it's evoking a fashion, but it's but there's no lust here. Yeah, I can't fight you on that. Whereas, you know, back in the day when we talked about that thirst lust thing, when people just opened up a magazine if she was staring back at you, you'd have a boner. And I don't know that, yeah, you're right. Like there's not that raw, primitive kind of jam right there. No, like we're going to do the inherently hilarious thing of talking about images on a podcast where you can't see images, but uh, the image in the story where she's wearing a body stocking. So it's a head-to-toe fishnet like piece. Uh, and I can't tell. She's leaning on a weird chair, so I can't tell if the black band, I think there is a black band over her breasts and her like crotch. Like I think it's it's meant so that if yeah. she were standing up straight, you wouldn't be able to see anything, mm-hmm. right? She's leaning over on a chair, but She's making a fish face. Yeah. Instead of a sexy face, it's a it's a goofy face. It's, yeah, cookie. Yeah, like it's yeah. it's almost uh ooh, like I don't know, Warhol-esque something. Like it's very yeah. yeah, it's a I don't know what to say. It reminds me of a like it's like if Audrey Hepburn would have worn this outfit, but she would have made this kind of a face. Right. There's no pouting lip at the camera. There's no, no drooling. Yeah. So, and I, and I assume you could tell me differently, but I assume they tried to take some of those, but do you think she got photo approval for this spread? I wouldn't doubt it. If you told me, I wouldn't fight you on it. I don't know. Um, but I, I think that you're right. Probably some of those other photos, or maybe that is the vibe that they were like, Hey, let's put you back in the fishnet body stocking. But instead of it being 1999 in 2019, the Angelina Jolie in a body stocking, who's also a mom and is playful with her kids, is kind of being goofy at the same time. Right. I mean, fair enough. Like, these are, I guess the thing is they're new photos, but they're not like anything new. Does that make sense? Yes and no. I think they're new to her over the last 10 years. Most photo shoots of Angelina Jolie, like with Brad Pitt and after Brad Pitt, have been quite serious and, as you said, Stately, not in the, um, you know, wearing a ball gown to a state dinner at the White House stately, but there was a sophistication and an elegance. Real quality fabrics, you yes. know, like a, a richness to them. Yeah. And trench coats. Right. Right? And yeah, luxurious fabrics, um, cashmere. Yes. Right? Absolutely. All that. Quality wool. This is not that. No. Um it's not that. No, it's true. It's much more, as we say, it's much more fashion. Um, but it still feels slightly soulless to me. Oh, I- fuck. You know what it is? A little bit? What's you that? Were trying to, you were trying to land on something like a kooky. Yeah, or, yeah, or yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's almost Celine Dion cosplay. <laughs> yeah, a little right? bit. Yes. Like, it's like I am a... Uh, yeah, it is the sort of that thing. It's like a bit like grand dame doyenne, but but almost like a like a young ingenue playing a grand dame doyenne. And the fact that I'm using all these French words is partly because I don't think we have this in English. Like these, it's it's a mood tropes. That mood, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, 
here, remember I said there was one big redeeming feature for me? Yeah. I, this is the least important quote in the whole article, and it's the most I've ever identified with Angelina Jolie in my entire life. Okay. Are you ready? Yeah. She says, at school, I wasn't that popular person. Knew it. I loved leather, PVC, and fishnets. Those were my three favorite fabrics in my early 20s. I remember the first time I wore PVC pants. I was waiting for an audition, sitting in the sun in LA. By the time it was my turn, my pants had fused together. I didn't get the part, but I loved those pants. I've never identified with her more. Mm -hmm. It is one of my regrets of our friendship that you didn't really get the full effect of my PVC clothing phase. Jesus, Duanna. Like, no, you, you, I wish that some of our friends were here to corroborate the number of pairs of plastic pants, uh, plastic mini skirts, shirts with like, um, like inserts on them that right. were like, they were always sweaty and they were so goddamn cool. They were all electric blue. I used to buy like only loud tights from London, England, like where they had such things. And I, it, I was in my fucking element. You know, when you put on an outfit and you're like, this is the embodiment of my psyche yeah. on the outside. Yeah. Your black sack, for example. Mm -hmm. That's how I felt every day in PVC clothing. And I mourn the loss. Do you want to hear a great story? Hit me. So one of the things that I had was a Le Chateau-like silver plastic raincoat. Now, I was also, I was trying to work my way up in TV, right? So doing like PA gigs and so forth. And one time there was some shoot that was at like a private dining room in Toronto and the door is kind of hidden. So I was supposed to stand near the kind of hidden door and like tell people where to go upstairs, but it was of course pouring. So me and my plastic raincoat are standing in the alley waiting. And I want you to picture a young girl, probably in like a businessy dress, but covered in this silver plastic raincoat, standing in an alley in the rain. I was an aspiring young television professional. It's a rom-com. Who just... looked like a hooker. I you looked described a rom-com. Like a hooker. I was so, I loved it so much. I couldn't see it. And then I remember somebody saying something that implied, like some euphemism on working girl. And I was just crushed. I think that might've been the beginning of the end. I fucking loved a plastic clothing. I'm not just nostalgic, although I will try and find some photos. I don't see any of that person who loved that stuff in this image flight that we have here. It doesn't, it feels. But I think that's the point. Like for a long time, she wasn't sharing these recollections. She wasn't going back and being like, I remember that girl who, and I can even picture it. You know, like if you go back to the pre-hackers Angelina Jolie days auditioning, I can picture her in that outfit and the hairs like a terrible haircut or a wonky haircut and she's going into auditions. Like we knew that person who came onto the scene. Yeah. And look, it was off-putting even then. Like it was not meant to, I loved it and I would wear it all today in theory, but it was not seen as like, you know, hacker's nostalgia. Mm -hmm. It was just actively counterculture at a time when like a baby tea was the thing. Yeah. And so like, and pigtails. 
Yeah, yeah, right? or like, yeah. And, well, that was a weird like rave continuum. Yeah, of what I'm not trying to say it was counterculture. It was at Le Chateau, but <laughs> it wasn't the pretty girls thing no. to wear. And so I see her. I like. And so I think we knew her, or at least we met her that way. I don't know that she has talked about that person very often, but she conveniently, strategically, deliberately, intentionally is talking about that person now while also going into all kinds of interviews um, describing herself as rewilding. Yeah, but what's it going to take to believe she's rewilding, do you think? I don't know. And I think that that is why I wanted to put this out there on Show Your Work without any answers as something for us to look to um, in the pop culture landscape. If a rewilding um, or an unmaking of Angelina Jolie era is upon us, then we've got about a year because a year from now, Marvel's Eternals will be out. And she's the leader of this new band of Avengers people, whatever. And she's clearly, I mean, we know this person is quite strategic, right? We know that there are always plans. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so what, what 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 is this brick? Or what are these bricks leading to? Well, this is the thing. It's like I get that it's a plan and it's like, okay, I'm going to strategically reveal one thing and, you know, get a little more intimate or whatever. But, you know, people are a lot savvier than when she started learning the game, Mm -hmm. right? So it has to add up to something real. I think I said to you, uh, I think offline, that my issue with this is that she doesn't have to do anything to get the cover. Like, you laughed when I was like, it's the cover, right? Yeah, of course, Duanna, but she doesn't have to provide cover material almost because of her permanent A++ status, right? Permanent. Yeah. Yes. So, ergo, why should I care? If she's always going to be an A++ list, bold-faced name, then the moves have to be super, super authentic for me to believe that they're authentic, A, and for me to care, and in what seems to be our constant conversation, like, for what? Like, she has everything. She has a professorship. She has all the things. Well, why does Julia Roberts keep doing it? Julia Roberts just loves attention. Like, I'm not going (laughs) to lie. Julia Roberts is one of those people who is pretty clear about that, right? Like, she's she's an extrovert. She feeds on people's energy, whatever. She's not wasting her time at the London School of Economics, but UNICEF ambassadors and London's School of Economics sirs have higher-minded ideals in theory, right? Mm -hmm. So you're right. Those two meshings of that person who she swore was authentic and the, like, posing nude and or in a body-stalking person have to be adding up to something. Mm Mm-hmm in order for us to continue to care because there are a million people doing it a lot less self-consciously. Yeah. So I remain skeptical, but I am here for more nostalgic PVC content. All right, let's put a sticky note on that because we're going to revisit. Like this is our long-range homework setting or at least observation setting. 
I mean, I don't have in my brain right now like a good analogy for whatever they do at NASA to like <laughs> track a star. You think this is like a space probe? <laughs> yes. Okay. It's our space probe. We're going to come back here in a year and we're going to see if this conversation ended up, I don't know, predicting anything. I mean, really what you're saying is we're going to come back and see who is right. Yeah, me. Because you want her to be worthy of it. And I, I'm, okay, fine. I'll, I'll go ahead and be like, meh, I, I don't think she's worth it anymore. Ooh, I said it. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. All right, one of the biggest work stories to erupt out of Hollywood this week is the um, story about the assistants um, going on revolt. That's that's the wording they use, right? Uh, Revolting? Or in open revolt. Yeah. One of the above. Yeah. So this is, um, this is out of the LA Times, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, it was out of the LA Times reporting on the fact that more and more assistants were considering going on strike, at least um, raising their voices, talking about the um, unfairness in their profession with respect to pay, hours, respect, opportunity, and some people who had power in the business taking up their cause. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. In general, not enough people because if there were, then we wouldn't have this problem. So the Hollywood assistant thing, obviously there are millions of assistants everywhere. Um, the reason that the Hollywood assistant thing is unusual, I guess, is because it's often the only way in. Really what an assistant is, is a low paid friend and ear for uh, the high powered players in Hollywood, right? It makes sense. If you are the person who is opening Shonda Rhimes's mail, letting her know when the kids' dentist appointments are, and talking about what you saw on TV last night, then you wind up being closer to that person, which then in turn means, you know, you have to know people in this business, means you know people, means she refers you out to people. That's why people are assistants. That's why people who have master's degrees go ahead and take really, really, uh, I don't want to say menial jobs because Mm -hmm. it's still basically a white collar job, but jobs that you would think are certainly not using all their brain power. Right. And that's always been the culture, but it's always been a means to an end. Right. And so I think what we should do, though, off the top is to clarify. You mentioned Shonda Rhimes um, as an example, like the assistant to Shonda Rhimes. But we're not talking about, like, Jennifer Aniston's assistant here. We're specifically, at least in this piece, the big takeaway was it was the assistants in the agencies, the talent agencies. So CAA... WME, the assistance to agents is a lot of it. Uh, yeah, I would say there's the assistance to agents are the biggest ones, and uh, especially 
writer's assistants in mm-hmm. writer's rooms. Right. Um, because those are also seen as ways in. And right. yeah, a personal assistant, the way you point out, yeah. is not necessarily subject to the same issues for reasons we can get into. Right. But everybody who's an assistant is doing it for the same reason. Yes. Does that make sense? If you yeah. are a, ho- a chef to the stars, it's because you want to be a chef. If mm-hmm. you're a nanny, you're a nanny. But if you are somebody's assistant, it's yeah. understood that you want to be yeah. a player in a creative way. Look, the most direct example that I could give to this for people just to put this in context to, before we get into the conversation is on Entourage, Ari's assistant, Lloyd. So um, for those of us who watched Entourage, Lloyd was played by Rex Lee. And yes, he was Ari's assistant, answered his calls, took his messages, but Lloyd wanted to be an agent. And by the end of the show, Lloyd did have his own clients. And I should say that the agencies in particular always made that a real structured thing. Uh, the understanding used to be that you would get a job in the mailroom at one of the big agencies, basically ferrying mail around before email. Um, and you'd get to know people, then you would be an assistant on a desk, meaning a specific agent's assistant. Yeah. Then you either become an agent or more likely you use all those contacts that you got in that year to go. But the understanding, the handshake always was slave away for a year. Mm -hmm. And at the end of that year, your agent that you work for will make the calls to get you where you need to go. That's right. And so this apparently isn't happening. Right. And like so many other things we talk about, it's partly not happening because of the way that entertainment is changing. Um, The other side of it is that writing room assistants used to be a writer's assistant or a showrunner's assistant, a lot of note-taking, a lot of lunch ordering. Don't sleep on the lunch ordering. We're going to come back to that. Um, And with the understanding that the next year they would be a higher level assistant, and the next year would be a staff writer or baby writer, which is the first rung on a writing staff. That was the way it used to be. So it's interesting because it seems like this doesn't make sense. As we keep hearing, television and series production, because of streaming, is making it so that things are getting made all the time, and if there's more work, then duh, there should be more work. 100%. So what is the disconnect here? Okay. uh, First off, being a writer's assistant on a show used to mean 22 episodes of a show, which meant you were around for, loosely speaking, 32 weeks, let's say. That's just a lot of FaceTime. I refuse to do the math. But 32 weeks at 60 hours a week is a lot of time to get to know somebody. Mm -hmm. Now, if you... Like, say that's six episode seasons, right? Uh, on a lot of shows. Yeah. Uh, one of my favorites in that vein has been, well, Fleabag, Fleabag obviously, yeah. or um, uh, uh, Rob and Sharon. Why am I losing this? Catastrophe. Thank you. Yes, catastrophe. Um, so now, if you're an assistant on a show that only goes for six episodes, call it 10 weeks, you need to get on three more shows in the same year to get approximate FaceTime. You need to meet that many more people to get those same jobs. Sometimes you don't, Mm -hmm. right? Which means there's bigger interruptions in schedules. This is why people are talking about they can't pay their rent, et cetera. 
and then the agencies are not collecting from their mid-level clients in the same way because same deal, even if you're a fancy mid-level writer or a supervising producer or whatnot on a show, you're only getting two episodes assigned to you instead yeah. of the 10 that you used to maybe get. Okay, 10 is exaggerating, but still, uh, two instead of six. And so they're using that as an excuse to keep the salaries flat. So the salaries are flat, the opportunities are harder to come by, Yep, and the environments can be abusive. A hundred percent. So I use the example of Entourage yep. and Ari. Right. Um, and for people who watch the show, a lot of people did. He was, in general, an abusive person. It played for comedy, and they built the character out so that, you know, he had a heart of gold or whatever. He became really popular. But if you, I mean, in through the 2019 lens, his behavior is highly problematic. It's and, highly problematic, but it's not unusual. Exactly. Still. So a lot of yelling, a lot of insults, um, invasion into your personal life invasion into your personal time, all kinds of hours. Um, and the assistants now are like, well, if it's time's up, then it's got to be time's up everywhere. Right. And it used to be, I think, time's up is, a, is an interesting term because it used to be that that was endurable, again, for your calendar year, right? Right. That was endurable, not acceptable necessarily. Because... There was an end in sight. That's right. Right? And because you could see the people above you benefiting from sucking it yeah, up. Yeah. There was a clear path and that's, examples to point to. That's exactly right. Yeah. Um, but that's ebbing and ebbing away. And the behavior of those above, they don't notice the difference. They're not like, oh, gee, I haven't given a Angela a raise in a while. Gosh, she's here for 18 months. Wow. She must really be straining. Yeah. I guarantee that they are not thinking that. And I guarantee it's not just in the Hollywood entertainment industry. I think as budgets are flattening across all industries and, you know, everything is shrinking, economies are shrinking in several, like all kinds of industries. Yeah. When you get an, into an, an yeah, when you get into an entry level position in any company before it used to be, oh, there was mobility. Yeah, there, yes, there is. And now there's not that much. No, one Interesting difference, though, is uh, I've often talked about Ask a Manager, and you'll sometimes have people write in on that site and talk about how they're overworked or even that they want to quit, but that their bosses say, please don't go. Nobody else can do the job like you, or I haven't found anybody who can do this. Right. The, that is still the difference in entertainment. That whole, a million people would kill for this job. Mm -hmm. That's the line that's thrown at people. It's supposed to be a line to keep you under the thumb. Right. And But the issue is that unlike all other lines that are used to manipulate, it's not a lie. No. There are still lines and lines and lines of people gagging for the job. There are still millions of people who don't get those terrible underpaid gigs yeah. and are devastated. Mm -hmm. Right? They, they're not getting that baby toe in the door. Well, it's also, I mean, it's, it's in that industry or in this industry and in every industry that's adjacent. Mm -hmm. Like, think about the influencer industry. Oh, I can't even imagine right? what that unregulated industry exactly. looks so like. So it's the same. It's you're an influencer who's worked hard um, who, to, you know, build a following, build a platform, and 
someone and, and a client comes to you and says, hey, can we do this deal for this amount of work? And you're like, but I'm kind of worth more. Right. And then you turn around to an, a micro-influencer who'll take much less. It, right. I mean, that's fascinating because, yes, yeah. yeah, somebody will. Yeah. Um, and so that's what's really interesting about this story is that the negotiation is being kind of squashed. Uh, in the case of of assistants working not at a talent agency who do have the sort of clout to say, this is what we pay, the end, yeah. and you can verify it across the board. That is what I would say is the only benefit to being somewhere like a talent agency is that you can see everybody in the same boat, right? Yeah. And I have said this to a lot of young writers, but I don't know if you and I have ever talked about this on the air um, in such a way. It is so, so important to find your class, to find what I mean by that is when you're in school, yeah. your class, your people that you graduate yeah, with, you're like, like we're all in it together, your cohort. Yeah. Yes. Uh, if you are working somewhere where there are many other people in your same position, then as shitty as it can be, you're in a great place because you can compare notes, yeah. you can collaborate, you can whatever. There are benchmarks that are visibly set. That's right. Yeah. What's happening though to writer's assistants mm-hmm. is that they are the one and only writer's assistant. Yeah. And they are negotiating for their tiny rate with the studio. Right. After having been hired by the showrunner. Yeah. Based on personality fit. But then the showrunner's not going to pay them. No. Right? Like the showrunner is like, yes, I give this person my rubber stamp. Go off and do your deal with the studio. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of people who talk about how they were told, don't you get the showrunner involved? Don't you tell them what crap money you're making? Yeah. Uh, because you wouldn't want that. That would upset them. Yes. We, we shouldn't do that. Don't that's, bother them. That's right. Don't bother the brain. That's the culture of silence. Okay, so one of the, not solutions, but one of the uh, positive things to come out of this is that there has been allyship from some showrunners who used to be assistants themselves, so they understand the path that has been behind them. Yeah, and that should be every showrunner. Mm-hmm. It should be, every, I mean, it should be every everyone, but... Yes, it should be every single showrunner. There are some who are lending their voices um, uh, from, you know, the writers who sort of started the movement that they're calling hashtag pay up Hollywood. Uh, Liz Alper and uh, another friend, Deirdre Mangan. Deirdre Mangan is on uh, the new Roswell, uh, Roswell, New Mexico. Yeah. Liz Alper is most recently on The Rookie. And so they started the movement, Pay Up Hollywood, uh, kind of bringing some of these stories to the front. And then, of course, there was a lot of attention on Craig Mazin's podcast, uh, Craig Mazin and John August's podcast, Script Notes, where they started calling out some of the more egregious assistant stories they heard. Yeah. Like, remember I talked about lunch? Mm -hmm. Apparently, so one job for assistance is to collect lunch orders from writers. I've been the writer who writes down the lunch order. You just write whatever the hell you want to order based on what the menu is that day. Yeah. Apparently, the writer's assistants were given a cap on how much per writer, right? Uh, $15 per person per lunch. But if the writer went over, Mm -hmm. 
then the script assistant wouldn't want to go and ask for the $4 or more likely, and I've seen this happen, the writer goes, it's $4. Tell them they're being cheap. Yeah. But back to the accountant you go, the accountant says, We're not going over budget. We're not going over. It doesn't balance. Yeah. And And that accountant probably would buckle under the writer, depending on that writer's level and status. But not buckle to the lowly junior writer. At all, which means that $4 over per writer per day, guess what kind of an overage that is. Yeah. And guess who eats it? That writer's assistant who is the person who cannot afford it. Yeah. Look, in every room I've been in, I have been lucky to see and to say if nobody else does. First of all, assistants don't pay. Mm-hmm. Um, if we're out somewhere and production is not buying lunch, I'm buying lunch. Or the writers are buying lunch. The assistants don't pay. It's not cool because we all know what they're being paid. Yeah. And even as everybody's salaries get flatter, there are perks and script fees and things that they're never going to see. We need them to be able to live a living wage so that they can get big and strong and come join yeah. our ranks, you know? I And I what I really like about including that story is because it… Listen, this industry, of course, sometimes seems so distant from out there, right? Yeah, of course. What do you mean? Like, lunch is included every single day? <laughs> How dare you? Yeah. Right. I, and that's, that is fair. Like, if you're out there and you don't work in this business, yeah, that's fair to have that reaction 100%. And yes, and you can roll your eyes at me and my ordered lunch, and we make a point of asking if there's a cap. But yes, absolutely. It's it's a nice perk, and it's For sure. a vaunted position. Yes. However, beyond that, the next step is I think everybody out there, even if you're not in the industry, can appreciate, hey, but that person at the bottom of the chain shouldn't have to make up for the extra $4 times 10 or however many writers there are in the room every day, Monday to Friday. Like that is absurd. Like it, it's, a, it's actually a brilliant detail to include in that kind of article because lunch is what everybody gets. Like Everybody, no matter what business you're in, you're reading that article and you're like, what fucking dicks? Yes. First of all, you're already fed lunch. If you can't stay within the parameters of the lunch budget, the person at the, like the bottom of the chain shouldn't have to eat that. And like, look, I hope I sketched it properly that I don't think that writer who's like, they're being cheap. I don't think that writer is thinking through to the point where who is this budget shortfall going to fall on? Because there are a million other ways where, as a creative, you push back uh, and it comes out of the budget. Like the accountant eats it, you know, the production eats it. It's not falling on the 23-year-old. But also, I think this happens in any business, in any office. Yes. We are blind to the, the concerns of anything outside of our own, like, concerns. Think about, yeah, of course. I mean, I'm in this business, right? And there is a whole… So I, in television, my job is considered talent. So I'm in front of the camera. You can just go ahead and say that's… Yeah, yeah, you're talking. I'm a TV host. I'm a reporter. And so naturally, there is like a physical divide. The camera on one side and the camera on the other side, right? And we are narcissistic people, the people on camera. I will admit that about myself. 
And yet I know, but only because I was like slapped in the face with it, that there is a whole world behind the camera with its own gossip and its own ecosystem and their own concerns. And often those complaints, those grievances, they don't permeate the membrane. Of, of that physical barrier. So what barrier. do you mean you were confronted by it? Tell How did this happen? Well, it happened because I am a gossip and I like happened to be in a place where I could eavesdrop and her overheard, right? Yes. And that is when the moment I overheard and I started listening, I was like, well, shit, I spend my day complaining about my schedule and how, you know, it doesn't line up. And yet I am, I am privileged because they also have scheduling problems. They also have to move a fucking wall in 15 minutes while they're walk and they're moving the wall. A literal wall. A literal wall. Yes. (laughs) They're moving a literal wall while I'm in whatever, the makeup chair, getting my fucking hair fluffed, which is- It's part of the job. It's part of the job. However, there's a membrane that often doesn't get breached. Yeah, or imagine, you know, uh, boss Megan says to assistant Taylor, I need you to go and get this signed from Lainey. She has to sign these 10 pages and I need them right now because I need to fax them over to whatever. Fax. Apparently this is happening in 1994. Whatever. (laughs) Scan them. And she runs over to you and you say, you know what? I just, one minute I need to finish in the chair because they got the makeup person has to do the next person. And then when she comes back in one minute, now you're talking to uh, the showrunner or you're talking to the celebrity who's going to be on the set, right? Yeah. And then you go on air for an hour and Mm -hmm. she's lost you. Like, and now what? Like, those are pressures that are, you know, what she's supposed to do in that scenario. Yeah. How do you, how do you push back? Either way, you're going to be in somebody's way because what you have, what I have, what anybody who has worked in the business to a certain point any has. Any business, really. Any business is a voice that you choose to use at certain times. But assistants are often meant to be, I hate to use this expression, but it's not inaccurate, seen and not heard. Mm-hmm. So I did a thing. Maybe let's see what you think about this. This is, will be my ethical question for the end of this segment. I did a thing, and I want to know what you think. Okay. I had an amazing, amazing assistant not too long ago. Right. Really spectacular. Um, top of her game, so much so that she started getting other work right away. Uh, and somebody asked me about her. Like, I, somebody said, can I check a reference with you? And I said, of course. And I said all the kinds of glowing things. It turned out they wanted to know less about the glowing performance of the job and more about how much did you pay? Mm. I fudged. I didn't have a say in what she was paid when she worked for me. It was a set fee. But knowing how great she was and knowing that that's what they wanted to know, I fudged it up a bit. I mean, it's not my money I'm spending, but I inflated the number knowing that Unlike me or you with agents and lawyers and so forth, that that person is going to be negotiating for themselves mm-hmm. uh, and knowing that anybody is going to try and nickel and dime, I I fudged it up so that there would be a cushion for when they tried to talk her down. I'm not mad at that. No? no. Is it ethical, we feel? I mean, it means that my loyalty is to 
the assistant rather than my business contemporary in theory. Well, I don't know that your loyalty is to the assistant. I guess there's two ways of lo- looking at the loyalty. Your loyalty is to the assistant, but also your loyalty is to the integrity of the profession. Oh, look at you. Sure. Yeah, I'll take that. And to the person who's ultimately going to make the job right. better for all of us. But what you were valuing was the work. Absolutely. Not the person. But what you were saying is when you deliver the excellence that that person delivered, it should come with a value that is matches the execution. Right. And I should say part of the reason for inflating is that uh, there was a level of proof that had been proven after working with yeah. me, ergo, her quote should increase. I don't even think that's an ethical concern. That right. was like, to me, that you, you did an idealist's job. Like, it's almost noble. I mean, if you're an assistant listening to this, I appreciate you clinking your glass for me. If you're on the other side, if you are somebody who's paying people and managing budgets and stressing out about it, uh, let us know what you think, uh, how you're struggling with this or why you haven't given your assistant a raise in a long time and uh, tell us what we what we're missing on this one and i'd like to know if you have an equivalent in an industry outside of the entertainment field like it could be restaurant think about the layers and levels in a restaurant the hierarchy right like i'm thinking just on the level of even like you know those shows that th- we've seen with like chefs and sous chefs and yes chef <laughs> Right? Like, there's that shit, too, where the fucking chef doesn't know what, I don't know, like the servers and the… Sure. So, I'm, yeah, if you're a pattern cutter in a in a design house, if you're a million things. Yeah. The other thing about this is that with the low pay, with the lack of raises, and with the assumption that these jobs don't pay, they only pay in theoretical contacts down the line, guess who are the people who can take the jobs in the first place? Mm-hmm. You know, it's people who have no student debt, who have maybe a free place to live with mommy and daddy or with… The son of the um, CEO or VP of some other company. Sure. Yeah. Even if you're not in the business, somebody who knows that they can afford to take a year basically at real crappy rates or going into debt because it will pay off in the end. To say nothing of wardrobe. Which is why… Which Think is, about it. Yeah, but but it has effects because then we wonder why places like Hollywood are monocultural and monovision. Mm-hmm. Uh, and to your point, you know, why other company structures look the same. That the higher you are, it's because you know somebody, you've been somebody, you were related to somebody. Yep. Ma'am. See, you know what your problem is, I've realized? <laughs> what? Like, uh, you know, uh, my my shame slash joy is PVC clothing. And your joy slash shame is singing. But here's what I've realized. You just, you're great when you commit, but you, you bail on singing halfway through every line. And then you're like, oh, I'm ridiculous. I'm terrible. You, you're great when you hold it all the way through. <laughs> that was my attempt of, at introducing cats. I, 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 I'm I, sorry, but isn't that 
the only way to introduce cats. It's absurd. If you don't know what it was, uh, shame on you. Uh, You'd study up. I mean, here's the thing. Somewhere along the line, somebody taught me the now very familiar term extra. But like to use a very old joke construction, you could basically define extra by putting cats beside it in the dictionary, right? It is the emblem of what people who hate musical theater think musical theater is. Yeah. It's over the top. It's ridiculous. It's, it is, yeah, like it's too cheesy for Celine Dion even. (laughs) No, I think she sang what, like. Oh, I'm sure she sang memory, but she wouldn't get into a cat suit. Um, yeah, it would be, you're right. It's too next level for her. But anyway, you're going to see this movie. Oh, a hundred percent. Wait, have you seen the stage musical? I, if I have, I don't remember. I think that you would remember. And the reason is because it's like an acid trip combined with the cheese. The characters are named things like Grizabella and Jenny Annie Dots and Magical Mr. Mistopheles. Right. And Rum Tum Tigger. Right. And so who else could we be talking about in conjunction with this story? Mm-hmm. But the the <laughs> phoenix taking her true form. Right. Taylor Swift. The snake taking her true form. Taylor Swift. I mean, I feel like a snake would have a different perspective on this, but. <laughs> so um, in case you haven't heard, which again, as Joanna said, go study. Cats, the adaptation, the film adaptation um, is on its way. It will be out uh, in the, during the holidays. The trailer came out a couple months ago, horrified everybody. It's live action. <laughs> it's weird. But for the purposes of this conversation, we're talking about Taylor Swift. We're talking about Taylor Swift writing or co-writing a new original piece of music with Andrew Lloyd Webber for the film. Um, And it's, you know, the rollout is coming, everybody. We're hearing it. It's going to roll out behind her, which is understandable. She's a huge star. She's in the movie. They're going to pack all the marketing into and around Taylor at the beginning. Um, Duanna, you are the musical theater expert of Show Your Work. Of the two of us? Yeah, I'll take that (laughs) in a walk. Please uh, let me know what your assessment of this Taylor Swift Cats strategy is so far. Okay. Um, I, uh, I hear you on the, the snake or whatever, but I actually feel like we got to find a better simile because Taylor Swift is fucking extra uh, to the max and then beyond, but she's met her match. (laughs) In Andrew Lloyd Webber, yeah. The world's pettiest musical theater creator and producer. He's a bitch. He's a bitch, but yeah. he's the best. He's bratty. He's fancy. Yeah. He's like, his... His grudgy. Oh, he's super his grudgy. The whole thing with Patti LuPone is... Is amazing. Is amazing. He's like Ryan Murphy in musical theater form. Yeah. He divorced his wife, Sarah, to marry another woman named Sarah. Like... I love him. He did introduce me to the name Imogen, however. That's what he called his daughter. So just saying. Okay. I mean, it's extra, 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 extra. And it is... Was he married to the Sarah Opera? Sarah Brightman. Right. Like yes. brown hair, yes. white dress. Yes. <gasps> it, Phantom of the Opera. Yes. Yes. Okay. She was his like okay. muse. Okay. Uh, but before that, he was married to another Sarah whose name I forget. But 
assume it's something Britishy. Okay. The thing is, though, like Cats is, and Andrew Lloyd Webber has made other musicals that are less what the fuck. Um, but in retrospect, he probably was on a good deal of acid and or other hallucinogens. Like there's also Starlight Express, which happens entirely on roller skates. Okay. But Cats is what it sounds like and what your mom went to see with her friends, right? right. It's grown adults dressing up like cats. Prowl again. They prowl. Yes. There's uh, cat hands. You're doing your prowl <laughs> hands as you speak. Like, yeah, they prowl around the stage. What is this? And in case you have been hiding from this whole thing, I want to read you the stars who are in this in ascending order. Like, you know, on IMDb, the biggest characters yeah. are like listed the highest, right? So from the bottom. Jason Derulo. Jason Derulo. Sorry. See that? No. You didn't commit. <laughs> okay. Jennifer Hudson. I'm not going to sing Jennifer I re- Hudson. I was really hoping you were going to go, and I, I am, am telling <laughs> you. Okay. That was very good. Uh, James Corden. Okay. Judy Dench. Okay. Uh, someone will come back to Rebel Wilson. Ian McKellen, mm-hmm. Idris Elba, and of course, Taylor Swift. She's at the top? Well, no, the, I skipped over okay. it. Taylor Swift has position number four here. Okay. But I'm not sure Rebel Wilson has billing over Judy Dench either. So, okay. uh, you know. Oh, it actually says here, sorted by IMDb Star Meter. So let's not go with this as the definitive call okay. sheet order. Got it. But again, um, it's extra on extra on extra. This yeah. whole production, and Taylor Swift is therefore in her element. Yes. So she's playing a character called Bamba Lorena. Yeah. I could just stop right there. <laughs> is Bamba Lorena in the play or in the musical? Yeah, Bamba Lorena. Um, I think there have been some changes in the film in terms of character development, if you will. Uh, Bamba Lorena in the stage show is described as a flirty and confident red queen. She is best friends with Demeter, and the two share an intense hatred for McCavity. Again, like, guys, this yes. is so, so, so extra. But it resulted in, like, possibly my favorite Taylor Swift interview in a long, long time. And I, I never know with you if you sent it to me, if you send it to me thinking that I'm going to bite or that I'll get all excited fighting and therefore we will... Uh, I just in. knew that it was musicals, songwriting, Taylor Swift, and I just didn't see any way for you to decline. You're right. There's none. Um, but this story that is in Variety is basically Taylor Swift talking about how she created an original song and engineered it into the film. Like she, she manif- Like, you know how people have been throwing around that word manifest? Right. Like she, a vision board? She manifested it. It's glorious. Like when you read this, were you not supremely proud of her? I was. I wrote that this was, you know, she was prepared. She knew her work. She did the studying. She showed up on set every day like an eager beaver. um, And she was ready to get the call. And when the call came that Andrew wanted to meet with her and wanted to write, she knew exactly what she wanted to do. And, you know, the mythology is now in place. See, I don't even think, I read this that it wasn't even that 
he wanted to write, but that he called her in to rehearse, right? Her own song, like that she would sing in the in the show as written. And then she says, uh, then he just sits at the piano and he starts playing this melody that I've never heard before. He's playing this and I'm running through all the score of cats like this is not in the original musical. Again, note that she is fucking scanning yes. the musical like a computer. Yeah. Like all musical nerds know how to do. Yes. And so she's like, wait a minute, nothing. Uh, and there's no top line. And then she goes and explains what a top yes. line is. Can you read it, please? Because I'd like to hear your Taylor Swift impression as, as we learn this. Okay, ready? Mm-hmm. He's playing this and I'm running through all the score of Cats like, this is not in the original musical. There's no top line. So a top line on a song is the words and the melody that somebody sings. So if you have a song stuck in your head, chances are you're singing the top line. What he's got is this beautiful instrumental piece. As soon as he starts playing it, I start singing the top line. I mean, <laughs> it, it, to your point, she manifested it. She she stole her moment, right? She's not throwing away her shot. Yeah. By the way, this is in Variety that we're reading it, but this was an interview on the radio with Zane Lowe. So you could actually hear her say this herself if you want to. Right. Go for it. And so she'd already talked about how she was hanging around the set even on days when she didn't have to work because she was just so compelled. She just knew. Uh, she was just so fascinated by… She's a nerd. She's a nerd, but she's also calculating, right? Like, we talked about maybe Angelina and a calculated move. This is true calculation. This is true calculation, but to your point, I think the way, the reason why you love this, let me tell you about yourself, Duanna, is that this is what I picture you musical theater nerds to be like. Like, even when it's not your day to rehearse, you'll just show up to rehearsal anyway, Okay, yes, first of all. Right, because I knew some of you in my high school. Yes. And, you know, you'd ask them, where are you going? Oh, rehearsing. Oh, what are you rehearsing today? I'm just going to watch. <laughs> and oh my God. the rest of us kids were like, well, how we read it as you're going to class even though you don't have to be in class. Okay, and that is halfway. There's two parts to it, right? Number one is it's a better environment to be. Like, you'd rather be there than elsewhere, right? Like, you're surrounded by Folderol and, and whatnot. But Whatever that means. It's fine. But the other part of it is the glorious uh, legend of the understudy. Nowhere else but yes. in live theater is there the trope of... They're injured. They're, they have laryngitis. You got to go on. And then your hand shoots up uh, from the seats in the auditorium. And you... I know it. Yep. I know all the words. And you race <laughs> up on stage. There's a great clip that I know I've forced you to watch of Kristen Chenoweth, speaking of Broadway legends, doing a concert and she asks for people who might know how to sing the next song with her. And this woman goes up to sing, is chosen, goes up to sing... And it turns out that this woman is a, a singing teacher and she blows Kristen Chenoweth away. <laughs> I have watched it approximately 800 times because it is the, that is the fulfillment right there. We have been brought up on the understudy's dream. Okay. So, but I tell you this because this is the true language of Taylor. This is where she really speaks, right? She says... Uh, she had been watching uh, the lead in the film uh, and, you know, it's 
she doesn't sing in the original, but now that the role is elevated to the lead, I heard these rumblings and rumors like they want a song. Andrew's going to write an original song for Victoria, the lead cat. And I was just like, oh man, I so badly want to get in on that. But I also thought, I can't crash this. I really wish that I could write that with him, but whatever. (laughs) But whatever. (laughs) Whatever my ass. (laughs) This was all a plan. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and she says, oh, he just started playing this melody. If you don't think that she wasn't like, oh, what else do you have going on? What else is there? Yeah. Um, Now, if you think I'm shading Taylor Swift, nothing could be further from the truth. No. I praise this with every bone I have in my body. I can confirm this. I'm sitting across from it. And yeah, this is, yeah, I am, I'm basically in, I feel like I'm being, you're just one person, but you've suddenly become like 100 versions of yourself. Oh my God. I love that. And yes. Like a Doctor Strange um, in Avengers, like hologram and I'm surrounded by musical theater geeks now. Yes, three-way mirrors yes. everywhere. Yes. And, but I, yes, she took the moment, it happens, and she's like, gosh, you know what might be fun is memory or whatever her yes. creation of her song was. Yes. I don't think she fooled Andrew Lloyd Webber for a minute because, as you say, he's too much of a bitch to be fooled. But also in this environment doesn't, like, pardon the corny, cheesy, my use of the expression, but doesn't like game recognize game. 100%. And also that phrase is too good to ever be called cheesy. Right. Absolutely. He would be like, touche to you, madame. Like, (laughs) yes. yes. And then it would go in the show. Right. Or, you know, if it was Mrs. Maisel, we'd be talking about chutzpah. It's a classic case of kindred spirits. I... I'm obsessed with this Like, story. I'm actually shocked that then, you know, Lynn manuel Miranda didn't bust through the door and be like, oh, I just was looking for my hat. Did I no, leave it here? This is why people love Lynn manuel Miranda, because he, unlike Taylor, puts his thirst out there in front of things, right? Like, he'd be out there going like, man, I can't go to Lloyd Webber's house because I'm going to gag with anxiety about it. He did recently make an appearance on the My Dad Wrote a Porno podcast. Right. Where he was super extra about being there. So, you know, he he spreads it around where he can't uh, embarrass himself too much. I don't think she's hiding her thirst here either, though. I mean, I think that that's what we're responding to in the sense of, yes, of course, there was calculation here. um, But I think that in that environment, again, game knows game. You're going to, she brought it. The thirst was backed by game. Well, not to like line note your your excellent point, but now I'm like, do we need another word for thirst when it's been slaked? Like it's not it's thirst if you want it and you can't have it, right? Right. She wanted and achieved. Yeah. So now what's the like what's the term for a brag when you can back it up? I don't have that. I feel like you're going to… I don't have the word. I want you to come up with it for me, for my birthday. I feel like there's got to be something for like, yeah, thirst Well, thanks for giving me 10 months. Uh, Well, (laughs) fine. Christmas. Um, Yeah, it's it's achievement unlocked, essentially. Yeah. But in all seriousness, there are a lot of people who used to castigate Taylor for being too extra, too cheesy, too this, too that. Then she went all the way the other way and like, I'm not that and this and that. It's 
Say it again? The perfect setting for that. Yeah, but do you think it's a bigger something? Is she like, is this a return to the mean? Is this more of a a pendulum stopping to swing where she's like, no, I can live in the middle? Mm, I think it's more, now this is where I get a little bit more cynical. I think this is definitely comfortable for her. It's where she lives. Like, you know, it's she's not new to musical theater. Um, there's a very famous clip of her when she was very young and she was on stage and I think she was singing something from, listen, I'm not going to name it for you. I don't know. Maybe it was Into the Woods. I'm not sure. Okay. I mean, those are very different shows. Whatever. But there's a clip. She was young. So she's, you know, this is, she didn't just adopt musical theater. She's been following it legitimately her whole life. My cynicism comes up here because, I mean, she does want the highest recognition for it. Oh, yeah. We are now moving from the mythology. We've laid down the legend, so to speak, of how these songs or this song was conceived. And the goal now is to take it all the way to February 9th. And we'll be at the hotel next door, Duanna, and watching whether or not she gets up on stage at the Dolby and wins the Oscar for Best Original Song. Yeah, it's it's well laid track, right? Yeah. It's all it, – if you don't lay the track, it's not going to happen. So I guess, yeah, set your goal. And anything else, including what people think about it, is, is incidental. Yeah. Because you know who doesn't worry about that shit? Fucking Andrew Lloyd, magical Mr. Mistopheles Weber. Right. But you know what makes this extra interesting is we've been talking about Andrew Lloyd Webber and how he's a famously big Broadway or big musical theater bitch. And it just so happens that in this award season, I mean, they might not exactly clash in the same category, but Elton John's also in the mix. And Elton John is also a petty bitch. And he also is in the mix with Rocket Man, and he's also trying to get to the Oscars with his movie. And I wonder now, all kinds of like theatrical, very extra people will be converging this Oscar season and sometimes up against each other. It's going to be really interesting. You know, you sort of just sketched out the race and how that might look and be. But what I immediately thought was, is this like fortune telling? Is this Taylor's true people? Like I see more of Taylor Swift in Elton John and in Andrew Lloyd Webber than in any of her sort of pop contemporaries. And it's deeply exciting to me. Thinking of Taylor as a young Elton John with all that that entails and thinking about the biopic of her own that's coming in 20 years is so exciting to me that I I see this now as the as the prologue, like think of the Oscars as the prologue to what will eventually be the Taylor Swift movie in 25 years called Bumble Arena. <laughs> Amazing. Job done. <laughs> And finally, a big story that broke this week that we are going to talk more extensively about next week because it relates to, well, news, television news. And that is Amy Robach uh-huh. um, caught on a hot mic. And who is Amy Robach? I don't know her. 
So she is with ABC. Uh, she does 2020. She does, you know, I guess in the family, right? You can, you'll see her once in a while on Good Morning America, you know, that kind of thing. She's part of their, like, She's, yeah. pocket. Okay. She's a reporter. And she was caught on a hot mic, um, kind of bitching about the Epstein story. So she says in this video that got leaked that she had the story in 2015 that she had um, Virginia Roberts Jeffrey. Uh, she is one of the women who says that uh, Jeffrey Epstein forced her into sex trafficking. She's also the girl who's in that photo with Prince Andrew, his mm-hmm. armors around her. Mm-hmm. Anyway, Amy Robach had an interview with Virginia in 2015. 2015. Correct. Uh-huh. And had, she says, all these allegations laid out. She was doing the reporting. She claims that the network killed the story. Um, and she was so pissed because, you know, there was Prince Andrew involved. There was Bill Clinton involved. And four years later, it busts open. And she's caught on a hot mic in the studio. Hot, i.e. live mic. Live mic, yeah. It might not have been going live to air, but in commercial breaks, our mics or your mic is still live. Right. Right. It's still being fed into the control room and they're always rolling. And in, uh, obviously we're talking about how we'll talk about this more next week because we're going to be talking about the morning show. One of the things that that show really points out is it's not just rolling in the control room. It's rolling upstairs to the executives. That's right. To the bosses. That's right. So, um, huge story, obviously, with all kinds of different ramifications, political ramifications, royal ramifications. But for our purposes, just FYI, do your homework on that because, again, the hot mic issue and behavior in the studio is something that the morning show really brings to its viewers. Make sure you're caught up as morning show episodes roll out every week so that you are primed and ready for our deep dive next week. And we promised that we were going to dive into some of your responses to us. Uh, We have a couple of pieces of viewer mail that we wanted to touch on. Yep. So uh, the first one, Selena Gomez. We led with Selena Gomez last week. Yep. She was our top story. And we talked about, um, you know, her career, her, the singing, the acting, we analyzed the strengths um, of, of what she's doing and how she's doing right. her game, right? That's right. Yeah. And we got some feedback from somebody. Yes. We got an email from Carolyn who said, I think you've missed the mark on Selena Gomez. And she points out that there was no deep dive into her roots as a child star and her health issues. Now, uh, I would get defensive and say, uh, we talked about Barney. Hello. Also the origin of where she met Demi Lovato. And Wizards. Wizards of Waverly Place. Although, I mean, it's interesting that uh, whether or not she was, whether you think of that as being a child star or not. But it is absolutely true that we did not talk about her illness. Uh, She has a chronic autoimmune disease, lupus. And as Carolyn points out, She's had a kidney transplant and takes autoimmune suppressant drugs to keep her kidney functioning. So uh, a few of you pointed out that maybe uh, 
increased focus in music is less taxing and less like wall-to-wall long-form commitment than a comparable sort of commitment in acting, which is, you know, at 12 weeks or more wall-to-wall. So like point taken, I thought that was really smart. I think that's a really good point. And the reason why I think it's an interesting point of conversation is because I think there's two sides to look at it. One, for sure, as we expand um, the conversation around who gets opportunities in Hollywood, and, you know, we've been talking about women, we've been talking about people of color, that conversation should also expand to, of course, people with disabilities. But it also is a worthwhile exploration of mental health and physical ailments, people who have chronic diseases. And the other side of that conversation is sometimes we've heard from people, I know people who have physical disabilities, that they don't want that to be the conversation. So that's a tricky thing. That's an excellent point. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And I think a lot of people really uh, value Selena for being open about things like a kidney transplant or so forth that maybe hadn't been so well-known before? Yeah. Like, my mother has had a kidney transplant, so I under I definitely understand, like, the physical sometimes limitations for somebody at her age um, to confront. So thank you for bringing this to att- our attention. Definitely that is something that we should have addressed. It was a point that we should have raised because that could have led us to a, an interesting conversation about that dance, right? How much weight you give the physical issues versus should they dominate? And about the strategy, right? If you know that this is something you have to contend with, we all have different things that uh, keep us from being optimal or that we have to factor into our work lives, right? So yeah, it does maybe make a difference in whether you go left or right, whether you choose this move or that, if it's right for your family, your lifestyle, your health, et cetera. So yeah, I thought that was a point really well taken in our career assessment. And next, we got a really hilarious uh, message from somebody who listened to our podcast a few weeks ago. I think we were talking about Meghan Markle, and we were talking about the English and how there is kind of a, I don't know, like kind of the impression that English people are elegant and… Highbrow. Highbrow and more sophisticated. And I think I was the one who brought up like, but Ryanair. (laughs) And so, in response to those comments about Ryanair, we heard from Aaron, um, who was listening and who I think can corroborate our impressions of Ryanair. I think that's fair. Okay. So, here is Aaron's message. Um, she said she was listening to us and she laughed at our brilliant description of I, her beloved Irish airline. Well, <laughs> I have to clarify that she says, I was sitting on a Ryanair flight. <laughs> From London to Dublin, when I laughed out loud at your description of my beloved Irish airline. Okay, so here's Erin. She goes, so spot on. It's basically a bus, which, like, I'm I'm dead. Yeah, it's okay. amazing. Um, so she says, since moving to Dublin two years ago, I fly with Ryanair twice a month. Um, and uh, I was on one particularly rowdy 8 a.m. flight to Ibiza, where they essentially pretended we had started our descent way earlier than necessary to force people back to their seats, effectively cutting off the entire plane. In in other words, to stop people from drinking. At 8 (laughs) a.m. on the way to Ibiza. When I got to my seat, it was covered in smashed crackers, and it barely even registered because, as you said, it's a flying bus. 
One minor correction. So, Duanna, I yes. think that it came up that they didn't, we may have gotten it wrong that they don't assign seats, that it was a free-for-all, like sure. a bus. Right. So, Aaron wants us to know that they do actually assign seats. You're not allowed to choose where you sit unless you're willing to pay. If you book two seats at the same time, they will deliberately sit each passenger separately, which forces a lot of customers into yet another additional fee. Um Anyway, so um, by the way, if you're at all fond of Ryanair, I hope you get to experience Dublin Airport on a Friday evening after work Terminal 1, which is Ryanair's terminal. It's basically a bar. Everyone walks around freely with drinks, bringing their pints to the gates to keep the session going. I'm so, I, okay, I've never been on a Ryanair flight. Wait, now, what? Never. I mean, I know we think we're posh now, but we might have to do this for you because it's hilarious. It's so... You can bring your drink right up to the gate and then you get a new one when you get onto the plane. No, I... Listen, I... I, I haven't and I've always wanted to because I always see... This, this came up because we were talking about the articles once a week about someone fucking or fighting on a Ryanair flight. Right. Uh, a joke with a friend of mine uh, where we took a Ryanair flights a number of years ago is the pilot, like, basically coming out from the cockpit to yell at the plane <laughs> mid-flight, going, we don't stand for that kind of behavior, which, no, you patently really? do. <laughs> yes. Like, but here's, here's the thing, Duanna. If we, for research, go on a Ryanair flight, I better see a fight or some fucking. Like, God help me that it happens to be the one Ryanair flight where it is the most civilized and everyone is behaved. Well, listen, I can't speak to the fucking, but I'm sure we can get you into a fight if necessary. Like, some dude called Potterick better be fucking mounting another person while fighting somebody else. We'll make it happen. I, will cl I just want to close this email out uh, with nods to Erin's work because she just ends the email on the perfect Bon Mo. Ready? I also think it's hilarious that the flight attendants come around with Ryanair scratch and win tickets for purchase. <laughs> Wait for it. You have to love something that understands what it is. Erin! Um, and speaking of knows what it is, uh, we have a very exciting new segment that we hope you're going to help us out with. We have been telling you, of course, please leave your comments and subscribe on iTunes because it helps people to find us. Uh, and in true Laney gossip, show your work form, uh, some of the comments are Let's put it this way. The comments are a lot saltier than the people who write to us. But if you know us at all, you know that that means we love them all the more. Yes. So we are going to read you, what do you think, two? Yeah. Let's read two of our favorites. And uh, hopefully by next week, there will be more that we can delight in. Uh, because comments help people to find us regardless of what they actually are. So we get to delight in these in particular. Okay. So um, this is a comment from somebody who calls themselves Excellenth. Okay. All right. So not a T at the end of excellent, but an F. Excellenth. Yeah. All right. Not sure if that was intentional. Okay. But the title of the review is mediocre. And this is what they say. Oh, okay. 
So sick of the one woman always overpronouncing sure as sure. <laughs> Literally every other minute is sure. Ugh, what an ear sore. Um, sorry, Duanna, but that's you. It's clearly me. Um, I don't think I knew that I did that. Sure. You you dur. Sure. Is that not how we sure? Sure. 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 Yeah. So um yeah. All Are right. you gonna take that feedback? Yeah, elephant excellent. 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 I will take it under advisement. I'm Thank so you. glad that this person pointed that out because now this is time for me to air a grievance about you. Um, I hate sure. Like in what way? You text me back sure all the time, and I hate it. Can you just say okay or yes? I find them so dicky. I feel like sure, sure is, is like… dicky. No, sure has more enthusiasm. No, it doesn't. It's like, sure. Ugh, fine. Yeah. What, now you're going to get like <laughs> cold fines. <laughs> All um, right. Okay, one more. Uh, well, I have one here okay. from Flap1980. Okay. Uh, and the title of the review is Nope. Okay, here we go. Ready? Self-importance has two names, and they are Duanna and Lainey. The smug, judgy, pseudo-intellectual, woke snobbery of these two hosts brings any momentum to a grinding halt. It's like they decided one day, let's give the world the gift of us. (laughs) Please leave comments. Uh, We are delighted to dig into these. And if it means that, uh, if it means that you want it to be read, then obviously we want it to be funny. Uh, keep sending us your notes, please rate and review, and we will be back next time. Until then, work hard. Bye. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.